as your shepherd? Is he your personal shepherd? He wants to be. He longs to be. I love that tender and loving picture of Christ among the many names given to him is the good shepherd. And we as sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And we still do even after we meet him, don't we? And he continues to seek us, pursue us, and love on us. Amen. What a good, good thought, the shepherd of our hearts. Appreciate that. Have your Bibles ready, please, if you would, to the book of Psalms, if you would go, chapter 99. Uh, I'll just say that I'll have my main outline on the screen for you and our main text, but there'll be many other verses that I'm going to share. I don't expect you to turn to them. I'll read them quite quickly, but uh, they'll not be there for you to see on the screen. I apologize for that, okay, but there'll be quite a few. And before I speak today, I want to ask you, if you would, uh, I hope you... uh, I hope you pray for my co-workers. <clears throat> yeah, you're, not, you're not supposed to say that, John, okay? You don't even know where I'm going with this, okay? No, uh, I tell you, folks, I'm, I'm, uh, even at the age I am, I'm the new kid on the block. <laughs> and uh, I just want to say to the Lord be the glory that uh, he sure has blessed us with a tremendous pastor and associate pastor and secretary. Amen. He, he really has. And uh, I, uh, I'm amazed at how much those three get done. I've told John more than once, the same goes for Pastor and Miss Martha, and I don't know how he does all that he does. I don't know how they do all they do. Uh, it's amazing. I, I sit in staff meetings and I listen and I observe and sometimes make a contribution or two, but I observe the dynamic going on between Pastor and John and Miss Martha, and it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to see. And uh, I think to myself, I cannot keep up with them. I'm too old. And so when I say, I hope you pray for my coworkers, for them to have patience. And they have needed it, haven't And that's the reason why John said amen. He did know where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, they have needed patience. Uh, they really have, and they will continue to. And just about the time I'm ready to, uh, to I think to myself, I cannot keep up with Pastor and John. Uh, I'm, about the time I'm getting ready to play my senior citizen's card, you know, in walks Miss Martha. <laughs> and that dear lady can work circles around me. I'm serious. I've just never seen three individuals who can do as much as they do. It's an awesome privilege to serve here with them. Uh, They've been so kind and gracious and patient with me, and I'm very grateful for it. And uh, miss our pastor being here today. I look forward to his ministry in the Word, don't you? Every week, every week, the riches of God's Word are just laid out for us. He feeds us. He feeds us so in such an excellent manner from the Word of God. I'm grateful for him and his ministry and for the privilege of of serving here together with them. The world-renowned pastor and author, and you've heard his name, A.W. Tozer, made this statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you 
think about God. What one word or maybe bullet point responses would you give if we had the time to allow you to share your answers to that question? What do you think when you think about God? Why is it that what we think and believe about God, the most important thing about us? And listen very carefully, if you would. Because those thoughts and beliefs about God affect the way we live our lives. They affect our joy. They affect our peace. They affect our contentment. They affect our morality. They affect our work. They affect our relationships. And they even affect our eternal destiny. What you and I think and believe about God is the most important thing about us, A.W. Tozer said. Now, have you ever stopped to think about this, that it's possible to think incorrectly about God? Have you ever thought about that? It's possible to think incorrectly about God. Have you, question please, have you personally ever thought or believed something about God that you later learned was incorrect? Has that happened to anyone in here besides me? It did to me. I have. Later in the message, I'm going to share with you a personal story. A story of a lie that I believed about God that almost, almost robbed me of a lifetime of seeing God work in my life and bless me. More about that later. Now, think about this. What is the source of those incorrect thoughts and beliefs about God? Where do they come from? I believe they can come as a result of some event or circumstance in our life over which we had little or no control. Something happened to us, <clears throat> and it has clouded our thinking about God. Those kind of thoughts, those kind of wrong beliefs can also come as a result of the damaging influence of significant people in our lives. <clears throat> but ultimately, I do believe this, ultimately they come from the evil one. Jesus said in John 8, 44, concerning Satan, <clears throat> he said he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The ultimate source of our wrong beliefs about God and our wrong thoughts about God come from the evil one. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, he cunningly, he cunningly planted incorrect thoughts and wrong beliefs about God in the mind and heart of Eve, didn't he? Let's listen carefully if you would. You know this passage well. Genesis 3 verses 1 through 5 says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now listen. Satan unjustly accused God in a few words of no fewer than three great crimes at once. Falsehood, tyranny, and envy. And he, su he successfully led Eve to believe and embrace those lies about God. I believe that to this very day, today, 
Satan continues to attack the hearts and minds of all mankind with accusations and lies about God. Because he too, as A.W. Tozer said, he knows, Satan knows that the most important thing about us is what we think about God. If he, can, if he can convince us of some mistruth about God, he can wreak havoc in our lives. If you are here today as an unsaved friend, you say, Tim, I do not know Christ as my Savior. Satan desires to use his lies to determine your eternal, test, eternal destiny, separated from God. Our text for today is Psalm 99. Now, as we move through this chapter, and it's a brief one, my goal is not only for us to come away with a general understanding of what is there, but more importantly, are you ready? My goal is for us to come away with a greater and more correct understanding of what God is like. If we do, it can change our lives. I'll give testimony to that in just a few moments. Knowing and believing correctly what our God is like can change your life can change your life today. Now, this Psalm 99 consists of three stanzas. It's kind of like a song, a hymn. There is a refrain found in verses 3, 5, and 9 that break up those three stanzas. Now, class, if you would please help me. Are you paying attention? In what three verses do we find the refrain? Whoa, man, y'all were paying attention. <laughs> Good job. Now, the distinctive idea of the psalm is expressed in that threefold refrain, the distinctive idea. And it will be obvious what that distinctive idea is as we read the chapter. Now, I came across something kind of interesting as I was studying. It is believed that this refrain in verses 3, 5, and 9 may possibly have been intended to be sung as a liturgical response when the people of God assembled for worship. A liturgical response. Someone speaking or singing, and then someone responding with singing or speaking or singing. So, let's do some responsive reading this morning. Are you ready? Got your Bibles there? It'll be on the screen for you. I've asked Brother John to come up and help me. It's not that I don't trust you guys. <laughs> but I just want a little extra support here, all right? Now, I'm going to read, and then I want you to respond by reading aloud the refrain with Brother John. He's going to lead you as you do. Now, class again, what verses are that, is that refrain found in? Excellent. Excellent. Very, very good job. Okay. Now, let's begin. We're listening for that distinctive idea found in the refrain. Verse 1, I'll read. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. 
Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Thank you, John. Thank you, church. Now, class, can anyone tell me what the distinctive idea is that we find in that refrain about this chapter? What is it? That's exactly it. God is holy. We sang about it today. Man, what a blessing that was to hear those songs. So the first thing we can know from God, about God from this passage is simply this truth. God is holy. Psalm 99 could be said to be a call to all nations and especially to the people of Israel to worship Jehovah as the thrice, as the thrice holy God. And we can't help but be reminded of Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. When Isaiah had his vision, the Bible says this. We're familiar with it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, when the Bible proclaims that God is holy... Most commonly, we think of his absolute moral perfection, don't we? Are you with me? In all his thoughts, purposes, and in his inmost being, he is holy. He has never had an impure thought. He's never spoken an impure word. And he's never done an impure deed. God is holy. We think about that most commonly, his absolute moral perfection. But there's another aspect to his holiness that really stirs my soul. And we sang it today. Not only is God morally perfect, you ready? He is set apart from everything else. The word holy indicates that God is distant or distinct from. Another way of saying it is this. The holiness of God not only describes his moral separateness from sin but the separateness of his very being from all other creatures and things. This word holy is the principal Hebrew word used to describe the transcendence of God. He is holy other, W-H-O-L-L-Y. God is holy other. When we speak of the holiness of God, yes, we're speaking of his moral perfection, but folks, we're also speaking of the fact that he is separate. There is none, we sang it, there is no one like you. There is none beside thee. What a great song. And by the way, numerous passages in the word remind us of this truth about God. Psalm 113 verses 4 through 5 says this, The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Who is like him? The answer is no one. He is holy. He is separate. Exodus 15 verse 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, 
fearful in praises, doing wonders. And then Jeremiah 10, 6 says, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord. There is none like unto thee. No wonder the angels in heaven cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Our God is holy. Now, one writer was contemplating. We're going to do something a little bit different here this morning. One writer was contemplating on the praise that is being offered to God in heaven. Holy, holy, holy. And he said this, quote, The unceasing adoration which is evoked in heaven by the contemplation of the absolute moral perfection of God should find an echo on earth. His praise and adoration is being spoken this day. Holy, holy in heaven. There should be an echo upon earth. Are you ready to be that echo? Would you do this with me, please? Could we stand together and just sing one verse of holy, holy, holy? Think about our God as we sing this together. Lift up your hearts to Him. Amen? Let's worship Him together. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty This morning, our song shall rise to Thee. Sing it now. Holy, 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 merciful, merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen. Our God is holy. You may be seated. Now, from this passage, we learn a second thing. It's found in the very first statement of the chapter in verse 1. It tells us another truth about God. It simply says this, the Lord, what? The Lord reigneth. That's a fact. That's not up for debate. There is no question about that. It's true. The Lord reigneth. That means He's sovereign. Simply put, that means that God is in control. Oh, folks, we're talking today about how that our beliefs about God can affect the way we live. This will definitely affect the way we live. He reigns over creation. Listen to these verses, please. Nehemiah 9.6 says, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. He is sovereign over creation. Hebrews chapter 1, listen to this, verse 10 through 12. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. You ready for this? They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall all wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. You ready for this? But thou art the same, and thy years fail not. He is sovereign over creation. He is in control of creation. Secondly, the Lord reigneth. He's sovereign. He's in control over the nations. Psalm 33, verses 10 through 11 says this, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. Did you hear that? 
He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. So he not only reigns over creation, the Lord reigns. He's sovereign, he's in control, but he also rules over the nations. And then thirdly, think about this. The Lord reigneth. He reigns over kings and rulers and presidents. Daniel 2, verse 21. And this is some heavy stuff here now. It says about God, He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He's in control of the kings of this world. He reigns. He is on His throne. Just before God humbled the mighty, the mighty king Nebuchadnezzar, just before God did something very drastic to humble him, in a, in a dream that he had, God spoke these words, I'm going to humble you, Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to this. To the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. He reigns over all mankind. And he giveth it, it says, he giveth it, he giveth it to whomsoever he will, and he setteth up over it the basis of men. The basis of men. God reigns. He's in control of the kings and rulers and presidents. We know this verse so well, Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart, the king's heart is in the hand of who? The Lord. And he turneth it whether it soever he will. So God rules over the kings. He is sovereign. Fourthly, he reigns over the circumstances of our lives. Remember how we started out today? What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Brother, sister in Christ, question. Right now today where you are in your journey, are you resting and trusting that your God is in control of your circumstances? With what you're dealing with right now and where you are, are you resting in that truth that God is in control? Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, 21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Wow. <laughs> I hope you're, as it were, blown away by some of these verses I'm reading about the awesomeness of our God, Amen. the sovereignty of our God. As Job was wrestling with the things that had transpired in his life, and, he was, and as he were, and as he was, as, so to speak, as he was grappling with God, and, and, and where is God, and what is he doing, and why is this happening? He made some profound statements, Job did, in chapter 23, Verses 13 through 14. Would you listen very carefully to this? We're listening to a believer who is going through an intense fire in his life. And here's what he said about his God. But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. Did you hear that? 
He performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. The Bible declares, brother and sister in Christ, that our God is in control of the circumstances of our lives. A dear man of God who, every time I heard him preach, literally, <clears throat> he made my heart burn to be used by God. I never heard this man preach, but what my soul was so stirred, I would sit there in my pew, listen to him, and my heart yearned to be used of God and for God to work in my life. He had the touch of God on his life. He was used by God, literally, globally. Years ago, he was the president of our former mission agency, ABWE, in Harrisonburg, Pennsylvania. His name is Dr. Wendell Kempton. What a powerful, God-blessed man he was. He made a statement. Listen very carefully to this. You're going to have to think about this for just a moment. He said, there has to be two marriages in your life. What? He said, there has to be two marriages in your life. One to your spouse and the other to the sovereignty of God. What he was saying was this. Sometimes circumstances come into our lives for which there are no quick and easy explanations. And in those times, the only anchor that will keep us from shipwreck is the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. He is on the throne. He is reigning. He is sovereign. Romans 8, 28. Wow. And we, what? What? And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. How in the world could we claim that and rest in that? The only way we could ever rest in that is if we have a sovereign God. A God who rules over the circumstances of our lives. Amen. But aren't you glad today He's not just a sovereign God. He's a loving God. And I'm glad today I get to call Him my Heavenly Father. Amen. He loves me as a father with a perfect heart as no father could for anyone. And he loves you with that same perfect love. I'd like to read something to you if I could, just a moment here. And this was such a blessing. I, I came across it just this morning. I was just wanting my heart to be prepared, and I wasn't prepared for what came on my devotion that day, this day, rather. It's from a devotional book called New Morning Mercies. By Trip, T-R-I-P-P. And folks, I want to tell you, if I would ever recommend a devotional book to you, this would be it. Literally, he is like a modern-day Oswald Chambers. If you've ever read My Utmost for His Highest, you will not be disappointed when you read New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. It's outstanding. So rich, his insight into the Word of God, into the heart of man is beyond comprehension sometimes. It's amazing. But listen to what he says here. Thinking about God being in control of the circumstances of our life. Many things in your life are out of your control. You face many things that make you feel unprepared, small, or weak. 
But you must not give way to thinking that your life is out of control. You need to remind yourself of these truths. That over all the trouble that confounds and dismays us is a God of glorious wisdom, power, and grace who rules every moment of every situation. Did you hear that? This is our sovereign God we're reading about. No, you will not always see His hand. You, won't, you often won't understand what He is doing. There will be points when life won't make sense to you. At times you will wish that life could be different. There will be moments when you will feel unprepared for what is on your plate. Now listen very carefully to this last statement. In these moments, look up and remember that above it all, there is a throne. And on it sits a God of unimaginable majesty, ruling all for His glory and for your good. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's our God. Do you see why what we think and believe about God affects the way we live? No wonder A.W. Tozer said what he did. Do you believe that today? Lastly, thinking about him, being, him reigning and him being sovereign, his reigning. One day, one day, he will reign on this earth on the throne of David in the city of Zion. It's going to happen, folks. The millennial reign of Christ. By the way, many Bible scholars see this psalm, Psalm 99, as the last of three psalms that are called the royal psalms. Psalms which celebrate and prophetically announce the millennial reign of Christ. The psalmist sees the Messiah as already having established his kingdom. Hence the opening words declare, the Lord reigneth. And also, verse 2, the Lord is great in Zion. Interesting observation. So our God is holy. Our God is sovereign. Number three, he's a lover of justice. Verse 4 says this, speaking of God, listen to this. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. This king of strength and power is none other than Jehovah God. And he is a lover of justice. Listen carefully. He's a lover of justice, a rare combination among earth's rulers and great men. Did you hear that? A rare combination. In his kingdom and in his dealings with mankind, corruption is unknown. Equity, justice, and righteousness are the rule rather than the exception. He is our God. He loves justice. A.T. Barnes in his commentary said this, All the demonstrations of his authority will be in favor of justice and may be relied on as sustaining the righteous cause. It is not the mere exertion of power. It is power that is always exercised in favor of right and this lays the foundation of praise. We never have to worry that God will ever do anything that's not right. He's a lover of justice. A.T. Barnes goes on and says this. Think about this. We could not praise a being of mere power or one who was merely almighty without respect to his moral character. 
It is only when the character is such that power will be exerted in favor of that which is right and just that it becomes the proper subject of praise. It's not just the fact that he's almighty. It's the fact that he's almighty and he is just. So, number three, God is a lover of justice. And then my last thought today, number four, we see it in this passage, I believe. God is faithful in his dealings with his people. Now, please, please focus and come back with me if you would, if I've lost you already. The passage reads, Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast the God that forgavest them, though thou took vengeance of their inventions. Now, there is so much there, and we will not be able to cover it all. I want to share two main thoughts with you, if I could. Thinking about how God is faithful in his dealings with his people. First of all, simple observation. Simple observation. He provided leaders for them to guide them, to pray for them, to instruct them. We have three names given to us here. Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. Those were men that God put in place to guide, to lead, and to pray for his people. You ready, church? He still does that for his people today. Say, well, Tim, what are you talking about? He still does that. Yes, according to Ephesians chapter 4, listen to this, verse 11. Speaking about God, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What Paul is teaching in that one verse is this. You ready? You ready? What Paul was teaching in that one verse is that God gives gifted men to his church. He's faithful in his dealings with his people. He was in the Old Testament to the the nation of Israel. He is today to his bride, the church. He gave his life for the bride, the local church. And not only did he give his life, he gives gifted men. He gives them as gifts to the local church. And I, for one today, i got to give this testimony. I would truly, I would truly not be here today if it were not for the pastors that God put in my life. I mean that. They loved me. They fed me. They instructed me. At times, they rebuked me. They were patient with me. Oh, how patient they were with me. They prayed for me. And they were used by God to lead and to guide me and to feed me. They made a difference in my life. Listen, folks, God is faithful in his dealings with his people. And here in this place, God has gifted us as a church with a gifted man. He is a gift from God to Crossroads Baptist Church. And what a gift he has given us. Praise the Lord. Can you think of where you would be today if it were not for gifted men given by God to his church who made a difference in your life? Anybody that can join me today and say, I might not be here if it weren't for those pastors in my life. Raise your hand if you can say that today. Look at there. Amen. Amen. 
God is faithful in his dealings with his people. And then secondly, in this last point, not only did he provide leaders for them to guide them, he's good, God's good. He forgave them. Verse 8, what a statement. Thou wast a God that forgavest them. Did you hear that? What we think about God is the most important thing about us. I wonder if there's someone present this morning that's struggling with whether or not God will forgive you. I wonder if there's someone who's struggling with the fact that I've, I've just this has happened so many times and it's been and it's so bad. I'm beyond the reach of the forgiveness of God. I wonder if there's someone here like that today. I've got good news for you. This God that we've been talking and singing about this morning, the Word of God says in verse 8, Thou wast a God that forgavest them. Praise His name. How amazing it is, folks, that this thrice holy God, this transcendent one, this mighty sovereign who rules the universe, this all-powerful king, how amazing it is, He is willing to forgive sinners like me and you. But that's the God that He is. He is a God who forgives. And that brings me to my story that I referred to early on in the message today. Of a lie that I believe that almost robbed me of a lifetime of seeing God work in my life and bless me. As I was finishing up my high school years, I began to walk down a road of deception and lies. Professing Christian, having had been raised in a good, strong church, had been faithful, but I began to drift, and I began to let other things make be more important to me than the Lord. As I was on this road, unbeknownst to me, the web that was being woven around me was growing in its strength. I did finally come to a place in my life where I was able to see the web. But I was so entangled in it, so confused and distraught that I had no hope. And I despaired of life itself. I'm talking about as a 17, 18-year-old young man. And you're not going to believe this. But I actually went to a Christian college called Tennessee Temple in that condition. Living a life that was a lie. During my first semester at Tennessee Temple, the evil one convinced me that there was no point in me being at a Christian school. Now listen, I hope, you'll, I, hope you'll, I hope you'll believe what I'm sharing with you today. It was one of the most real things that's ever happened to me. I believed that lie of the evil one. He convinced me there was no point in me being at a Christian college. I had so failed the Lord that he would never be able to forgive me or use me. So why stay? I wrote my letter of withdrawal 
and I turned it into the registrar's office. In short order, someone in that office reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to meet to discuss my withdrawal from school. And I do so vividly remember to this day walking into a small office on the second floor of an academic building to meet with a dear godly man named Douglas Cravens. He was a professor in the seminary there. As I sat across the desk from him in that very, very small office and told him my story, I broke. I just broke. The guilt and the weight of my sin was so heavy and I had been carrying it for so long. But as I was soon to learn, there was someone else, there was someone else in that office that day. God was there. God was there. And this is so important now, what I'm getting ready to say. And as that dear man, here we go, told me the truth about God, that he is a God who forgives, I was humbled and overwhelmed. That dear man said to me, Tim, if you'll just take all the broken pieces of your life and lay them at the feet of Jesus, he will forgive you. He'll take them and make something out of them for his glory. I walked out of that office that day a changed young man. I walked out different than what I walked in. Broken? Oh yes, I was. But I was forgiven and now I was on the path of restoration and healing. All because, all because someone helped me see what God is really like. Praise His name. It changed my life. Listen, folks, it's true. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Thank the, praise His name. Thank the Lord. He is the God who forgives. And that's why I love verses like these. Listen, if you would. I love these. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Did you hear that? He's ready to forgive. Psalm 86, 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. And I really love Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Did you hear that? That same holy God that the angels declare continuously, holy, 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 that same holy God is a God who forgives sinners. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. The, the chapter continues. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great 
That's how great His mercy is toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. And I love this. This is so tender and so precious. The, the, the chapter goes on and says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. You ready? For He knoweth our frame. He knoweth that we are dust. That's my God. That's my God. Could I just right now jump in here? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've heard the verse probably, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But don't you like the next verse? What's it say? For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's the God that wants you to be a part of His family. He, does not come, he did not come to condemn you. He came to save you. He came to forgive you. And if you're here today and you've never met Christ, would you today, would you invite Him and say, Lord, I do believe you took my place. I have no hope of heaven apart from you. I believe on you this moment for my salvation. You can say that simple prayer and you can be born into the family of God and you can know the God personally that I know personally that I'm talking about this morning. Are you ready for these verses? Let's go on. Love this one. Oh, I love this. <laughs> Psalm 130, 3 and 4. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Oh, my goodness. The goodness of God. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ. Unsafe, friend. Romans says, the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. If He were to mark our sins and judge us to the fullest extent, us, we would have no hope. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I love the Lord, folks, today because He has forgiven me. He has forgiven me. And then this verse. How many times have I quoted this? Wow. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. We are the most pleasing to God when we're broken, when we're broken in his presence. I believe I could say this. How amazing is this? You ready? The thrice holy God is attracted to brokenness. This thrice holy God is attracted to brokenness. And my final verse, I shared this with the men at Makara. Oh, how precious this is. For thus Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. That is our holy God, is it not? Amen? He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. I inhabit eternity. My name is holy. But then the verse goes on and says, with him also 
that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. It's a lie of the evil one to make us think that we're beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. That's a lie from the devil. And if he can keep us believing that, it will affect the way we live. It will affect our worship. It will affect our relationships. It will it'll, it'll affect every aspect of our lives. The good news this morning, church family, friends that are visiting with us today in the service, thank you for being here. The good news is we have a wonderful God. We have an amazing God. He's holy. There's no one like Him. He's sovereign. He loves justice. And He's faithful in His dealings with mankind, with His people, with His people. Let's bow together this morning, could we? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just for a moment. As our counselors are coming to the front, our personal workers and the music team is getting into place to sing. You don't have to wait for any music. If the Lord has met with you today and He has spoken to your heart, you can move right now. Just excuse yourself, step up, slide out the aisle, and just come here and spend some time with the Lord. Could I ask each of you that question that I've asked today? Are you believing correctly about God? Are you resting? Can you rest in what you believe in about your God? If you can't, why don't you come to Him? Why don't you cry out to Him? He will hear and He will answer. He did for His people in the Old Testament. He does for His people today. Unsaved friend, if you don't know the Lord, right there in your seat, you can acknowledge your sinful condition before Him that you have no hope of heaven and you can invite Him into your life and say, Lord Jesus, I want you. I want to know this God. I want to have a relationship with this wonderful God that I've heard about today. Would you do that right there where you're at? Lord, we, uh, we sung already today, Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. So we worship you today. Lord, I pray that I will be found, not just in church, being amazed at your goodness, but every day of my life as I move through the journey of life, Lord, that I will regularly be praising you for who you are. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's struggling with trusting you as being sovereign, in control of the circumstances of their life. Maybe there's a battle raging in their heart. May they surrender. And even as Job said, he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. All things work together for good to them that love God because He is able to do that. He's in control. Lord, whatever the needs are, your desire, as it was in that office that day so many years ago, for one young boy, your desire is to meet the needs of people that they may know you, the only true God. Lord, I pray you'll have your way. May the Holy Spirit work in this time of invitation. We ask this in Christ's name. I'm going to ask you if you would remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the team sings this song.
This is your opportunity to come as they sing. Just step right up, move out to the end of the aisle. If you want someone to pray with you and talk with you, these folks are here. They're ready to do that. Do business with God. Amen. struggle going on in your life today? Oh, but he loved us first. Amen. He pursues us. Amen. He seeks us. He's seeking you today. Do business with him. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my Here's my testimony. Here's my testimony. Now all I have, amen, is grace. Amen. Sing it now.
thank you so much, church family, music team. Thank you for your ministry today. Uh, just uh, let you be seated, all right, and um, give you these few announcements. Then Brother John's going to come and share some others. But we do have growth groups tonight. I hope you'll be here and participate in those. They're a blessing. Good fellowship, good interaction, good sharing and talking about the Word of God together and what God's giving us in His Word. Don't forget about that. And then next Sunday is the open house for our church family at ACA. And that'll be just on Sunday morning after the service. Yep, amen. Good blessing there. And, uh, and the Lord is working and He's bringing in folk and that's good. So keep those two things in mind and uh, appreciate that. All right, Brother John, if you would, please come and give us yes, our sir. other words and then close us out if you would. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for that message, Brother Tim. That was tremendous. And uh, I think I can speak for all of us and say that was exactly what I needed. Amen. Uh, very good. Very good. Tremendous message. And um, uh, yeah, I, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to that open house. We, we're we're going to get to go down there and see the uh, completed work, so to speak. Um, and I know uh, all the teachers in the room are like, uh, it's never going to be. But anyway, uh, I, I get that. Uh, but it's it's just, it's going to be so cool to be able to walk in there and be like, we have a school. It's, it's ready. Um, so we get to do that next Sunday after the morning service. And uh, just a quick note for you for growth groups tonight. Uh, the kids start Christmas play practice tonight. So that will be the kids' growth group. Yes, Christmas. I said Christmas play practice. They start tonight. Uh, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. It's that late in the year already. Um, so I did want to let you know about uh, that. Um, there is an unlimited ministry meeting right after we finish, after we dismiss. You guys have seen the slide ask about our new ministry, the unlimited team, Miss Heather. Uh, we are super pumped about this. This is going to be great, guys. Um, so this meeting is going to be upstairs in the couples class, that's pastor's Sunday school class. This meeting is for three groups of people, okay? Um, if you were in the growth group uh, the previous round that trained workers for that, uh, or you're already involved with uh, the unlimited ministry, kids ministry in any way, way, shape, or form, okay? That's category number one. If you are interested in being involved with the unlimited ministry, uh, that meeting is for you, or if you are a family who has kids that would benefit from the unlimited ministry. And in case you're like, I don't know what the unlimited ministry is, uh, the best way I know to put that is this is a ministry for special needs kids. Um, and don't let your mind make that more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, this would have been a ministry that I needed when I was a kid. Straight up, no exaggeration. So, um, this is a ministry that is going to help kids. Uh, we are trying to take our kids' ministry to the point where we're not con just connecting with 95% of the kids in the room. We're connecting with 100% of the kids in the room. And that's what this ministry is planning to do. So if you're interested in being a part of that or you fall into any of the three categories that I just mentioned, um, I need you to go see Miss Heather Kleindenst right over here, up in the couples class upstairs, uh, right after we dismiss. It's going to be a great meeting.